Thank you so much, Matt, for leading us in prayer and giving us a bit of an opportunity to reflect and unpack the mixed bag of 2021. And uh, as we've been doing that, I'm sure, individually and even uh, in community. So thanks for leading us in that way. Last week, uh, Eric McComish, our youth pastor, our pastor to Next Gen Ministries, was preaching, and he called it uh, the Youth Pastor Preaching Sunday or something like that, because senior pastors don't normally want to preach. That's not entirely true, Uh, but to be fair, Eric did a fantastic job, and if you haven't had a chance to watch or listen to Eric's sermon, go to our YouTube channel and check that out. We also have a podcast you can download and listen to it while you're trying to nap or something like that. Oh, it's a great sermon. Fantastic. It challenged me on a number of different ways, and one of the ways that it challenged me was to go back and read the book of Acts. I don't know if you've read it recently, but Eric preached on the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a unique sermon to choose, Uh, but it challenged me to go back and read Acts. And what I realized is that I tend to read the first part of Acts. Uh, because it's kind of exciting. You know, the Spirit is coming, and, and Peter, he's such an engaging character. You never know what he's going to do. And uh, the first part of Acts is all about Peter, all about establishing the early church. Uh, but then Paul c- comes on the scene. And as Paul comes on the scene, Acts changes a little bit. And it becomes about Paul's missionary journeys. And the whole last part of Acts is about Paul traveling to Rome to appear before Caesar. And so you kind of get lost in the details a little bit, at least I do. But I forced myself to read through, and I came across this verse that really stood out for me in Acts chapter 27, verse 29. I'm going to read it right now, and then I'll explain why later, why this verse stood out to me. Acts 27, 29, this is what it says. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. I love that verse. I'll explain why in a minute, but let me give you a little bit of a background. Paul, at this point, uh, has caused some trouble. He was really good at creating trouble, it seems, especially for the religious leaders. Jesus was very good at that too. Uh, But Paul did that in Jerusalem, created some trouble, and you can go back to Acts chapter 21, and you'll see the trouble he caused. And when I say trouble... What I mean is, they wanted him to die. (laughs) That's the kind of trouble that Paul got into. They wanted him dead. He was disrupting the religious systems and the powers that be. And so they brought him before the Roman authorities, and they wanted him to stand trial. The Roman authorities, they just wanted peace. They don't want disruption. But they really couldn't find any fault with Paul, and they were about to hand him back over to the religious authorities And I think Paul knew that if that happened, he would be executed. So what did Paul do? I'm a Roman citizen and I appeal to Caesar. Well, apparently, as soon as you do that, you set into action a whole course of events that can't be undone. And because Paul appealed to Caesar, as it says in Acts, to Caesar he must go. And so that's what's happening from Acts chapter 21 through to 27 and beyond. Paul is on his way to appeal before Caesar. And he's in the middle of this journey. And so they put him on a ship. And then he gets put on another ship. And it's not just a little sailing boat. We're told in the passage that there's 276 people on board. 
So it's a fairly sizable ship, not a cruise ship. Paul didn't do that sort of thing, but it's kind of a mixed company. There would be people there that would be sailing because there'd be a cargo. There'd be prisoners traveling to Rome. There'd be people just catching a ride. It seemed like it was a bit of a milk run as it was going through the Mediterranean on its way to Rome, but it's a significant ship. The other thing in the passage I'm about to read that we'll see is that it's not sailing season. That's really important. And Paul, he's an experienced traveler by this point. He's got all kinds of air miles. Don't know why he doesn't fly, but he knows how to travel and he knows it's not sailing season. And he tells us that because he says, it was after the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And if you track the timeline, that means that it was like mid to late October. And Paul says, don't sail. But they decide to launch the boat because a kind wind comes up. And that's where we're at. Paul on the boat with 275 other people. They're setting sail. It's not sailing season. And let's see what happens as we read the passage. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 27 and beginning to read at verse 13. And, and this is a little bit longer, but it's a story, right? So it's actually, as you read through it, it's kind of fascinating. This can be your afternoon reading. Read the whole story all the way through and see all the details that are included. Okay, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore to Crete. When I, when I read that, I thought about Matt saying, you know, as we entered into 2021, we were hoping for this, this gentle wind beginning to blow. But instead, this is what happened. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not heed into the wind, head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus or Citus. Hmm. Then they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Do you feel the crisis that they're in? After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Don't you just love Paul sometimes? Did he have to say that? It's like, I told you so. That's why people didn't like him, I think. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. <laughs> on the 14th night, 
We were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. The last ditch attempt. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. <laughs> Isn't it wild? It's so, it's so fascinating to me that this whole account in such graphic detail, such amazing detail, is included for us to learn from. And that's what I want to do today. In a desperate situation, they tried everything to save themselves. Did you catch that? They were throwing even their precious cargo overboard. They threw the tackle overboard. They did everything that they knew how to do. They tried every trick in the playbook. They were binding the ship with ropes all the way around it. They were throwing out the sea anchor. And at, at the very last minute, in the end, all they could do was drop four anchors and pray for daylight. That's what they did. Ever feel like that? <laughs> Facing a situation where it just seems nothing is changing. Oh, I've tried everything. I've used up every resource. I've tried every trick in the book that I know. I've used all of my education and skill. I've relied on people around me. And now what am I going to do? Drop anchor and pray for daylight. You're at that point of desperation. I think a lot of people face that this year in many different ways. But also with the whole COVID situation, just this ongoing sense of, I've tried everything. I was told to wash my hands. I washed my hands. I was told to wear a mask. I wore a mask. I got two shots and then a third one. I'm trying everything I can. And still we're in the situation. What do we do? We hold on and pray for daylight. Like Matt said, last year began with kind of weird optimism. Now that I look back on it, as we started 2021, what were we thinking? We just thought somehow, magically, the whole situation would correct itself because it's a new calendar year. And now that I look back on it, I think that was really silly. Um, but that's how I kind of felt. Whereas this year, I'm kind of feeling just tired. You feel just tired of it. And entering this year with a kind of fatigue, kind of resigning ourselves that this is the normal that we're facing. How do we survive in that? Uh, Christine and I were watching, just for a little levity last night, Jim Gaffigan's special on Netflix. And he was talking about the transition from 2020 to 2021 being like kind of, kind of like changing a baby's diaper. Right? You get up in the middle of the night, if you're a parent, you'll understand. If not, you can imagine how it works. In the middle of the night, the baby's crying. You realize by scent and by your nose that the diaper needs to be changed. And you get there and you wrestle with the mess and the smell and everything else, but you get that baby's diaper changed and the scent is cleared. Everything is right in the world again. You're about to put it back to bed and enjoy some peace and quiet when you hear the diaper being filled again. That's 2021, said Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> I hope it wasn't that bad for you. But I understand that it's uh, been kind of a smelly year in a lot of ways. So what keeps us? What will keep us this year? How will we continue to 
survive and maybe even thrive in the midst of an ongoing, enduring storm. Whether that storm is the COVID situation or something else that we're facing in our lives, because other things continue to happen, by the way, right? What will preserve us? What will be the anchors that help us to hold on for daylight? Okay, anchor number one. I'm going to give you four because it mentions four anchors, so I thought I'd play on that a little bit today. Anchor number one, God's Word. I know it seems obvious, and you're in a church service, and I'm a pastor, and I'm paid to promote this. No, it's not quite like that, but it is the obvious choice for a reason. But today I want to make it really specific. In verses 23 and 24, Paul talks about an angel coming to him and delivering a message from God. And the message is, like, there's, there's no reason for Paul to believe this message. The angel says, all of you will be spared. Remember, this is the middle of the storm. All of you will be spared. Just stay on the ship together. And Paul, in the strength of that word from God, has courage and peace. What was the secret to Paul's peace? He believed God's promises. That's our secret too. When it, when it comes down to it, we need to believe God's promises. This time last year, I challenged the church and anybody who was listening uh, to read through the Bible in 90 days. How many people, some people took up that challenge? You don't have to raise your hands if you made it through or not. At least we attempted, right? Either the short version of the long version, we wanted to spend some time in God's Word. Well, this year, you can go ahead and read the Bible again. That's great. But maybe we need to narrow our focus. Maybe my encouragement to you this year is find a promise of God and read it each and every day. There's some great promises, and some of them you know. Promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that needs to be on your mirror every single morning. Or maybe the promise from Romans, let all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Be careful with that one. You need to know the context of it, but maybe that needs to go on your mirror and you read it every morning. But there's some other great promises that sometimes we overlook. Maybe COVID isn't the thing you're struggling with. Maybe it's an ongoing temptation and you just get caught in this cycle of temptation and then sin and then guilt and shame and God doesn't want you to be trapped in that cycle any longer. And so there's a promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure it. Maybe that's the promise you need <laughs> that you hold on to as you go through this. Or maybe here's one more, 2 Peter chapter 1. When we're feeling like we just don't measure up, we just can't continue on, we're just not a very good Christian Remember 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. It's, it's not our knowledge or our great skill or our great goodness has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Maybe that needs to go on our mirror every morning as we go out. So this is my challenge to you. Pick a verse or two. Pick a promise of God and print it out. Memorize it. Put it on the mirror. But most importantly, believe it. 
Trust in the promises of God. That's what anchored Paul in the storm. That's what can anchor us. Anchor number two. Again, it's an obvious choice. Anybody know what it's going to be? Prayer. Yeah, prayer. Prayer is another obvious anchor. But I want to be specific again because Paul gets very specific in this passage. In verse 36, right in the middle, just just tail end of the storm, when the ship is about to be smashed on the rocks, do you know what Paul does? He holds communion. He actually takes some bread. This is what it says in verse 36. He took some bread, he gave thanks to God, and he began to eat. They've just cut the lifeboat away. (laughs) They've just sent the lifeboat packing. They're about to be smashed to pieces on the island. They've got Paul's promise from the God that he serves that they know nothing about. And Paul says, hey guys, let's take a moment and give thanks. What? The prayer of thanksgiving is an anchor in the storm. I'm so glad that, that Matt, you, you just listed some of the things to be thankful for this last year. So in, in all the things that sometimes overwhelm us, just to list our blessings is an anchor in the storm. So maybe on your mirror beside your verses, you'll start a list. Today I'm thankful for, and just watch that list grow. Because as Paul gives us the example, this, this prayer of thanksgiving becomes an anchor for him. Do you, do you see the peace and the calm that he displays in the middle of the storm? Well, the third anchor, what is it? Community. That's the third anchor that will help us through this time. It's interesting the instructions that are part of the promise that the angel delivers to Paul. Unless you stay with the boat, you cannot be saved. In other words, now is not the time to abandon ship. Stay together. Stay in the boat. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's difficult. I know it's tempting to grab the lifeboat and make for shore on your own and forget about everybody else. But there's a message here, I think, for us. Stick together. I know sometimes it feels like, whether it's disagreement or conflict or uncertainty, that it feels very uncomfortable. And we don't like being uncomfortable. And our desire is maybe just to get rid of that discomfort and start off on our own. And there's a message here, I think, for us. That community means sharing life together. That's the Greek word koinonia. It means this intimate sharing of the journey together, the sharing of life together through thick and thin, now is not the time to abandon ship. But there's other signs of community that we see in this passage. When Paul lands on one of the islands, uh, the centurion actually allows him to go and be cared for by the community of faith that are there. And when they finally do shipwreck, and everybody makes it safely to the island, they're actually cared for for months by the community that's there. But I want to highlight one other sign of community, and it comes from Paul's companion in this uh, journey. And it's mentioned way back in verse 2 that we didn't read. There's a man by the name of Aristarchus. And we don't hear too much about him, but he crops up several times in the New Testament. And Aristarchus was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and he was with Paul in this whole journey. Now here's where it gets interesting. Uh, This is from William Barclay's commentary. He says this, It's been suggested that there was only one way in which Aristarchus could have accompanied Paul on this last journey. And that was by enrolling himself as Paul's slave. 
That's the only way he could have got on the boat with Paul. Paul said, this is my slave. This is my property. And Aristarchus said, I am Paul's slave. What a sign of intimate community that Aristarchus was willing to live out that mandate where we are meant to not look after our own interests, but also the interests of others. He was willing to become a servant of Paul in order to accompany him on this journey. The bottom line is this. Paul didn't weather the storm alone. Community was there. And I know community has been probably the biggest loss during these last year and a half, going up on two years. How do we stay connected? And I want to say to you that it takes effort. It takes consistent effort. It takes initiative. It's not going to be handed to us. We have to actually go out of our way to serve one another. And as we serve one another, then community is formed. Community will be another anchor in this storm. Well, the fourth anchor. We have God's word and we have prayer and we have community and we have witness. Witness is actually an anchor in this storm. In verse 25, Paul goes to the, the people on the boat and he says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. It kind of reminds me of the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You remember that story? And, and Jonah's trying to, to run away and he's put on a ship and he's sailing and they come up against a great big storm and he finally goes up and he confesses, this storm is actually because of me because I am God's servant. Now it's interesting because uh, Jonah was running from God and he encountered a storm. Paul is running with God and encountered a storm. There's a lesson for us in that, that whether we go from God or with God, we can still face storms in life. But the point is, for both Jonah and for Paul, that crisis was also an opportunity to witness, to give witness to God's faithfulness, His grace, and to show our trust in Him. And that's my prayer for the church uh, during these times, that our witness will be strong during this time. The problem is, during this time, not only in our congregation, but in congregations around the world, a crisis can sometimes produce a lot of things that erode our witness. Sometimes it produces disunity, or sometimes hypocrisy, or sometimes gossip, or sometimes slander, because we're not as connected as we want to be. But it's so important that we maintain the unity of the faith in the bond of the Spirit. It's so important that we continue to be honest and tell the truth with one another because our witness depends on it. As the world watches, what will the church do during this time? What would Paul do? If Paul was running around frantic, just terrified, the whole boat would be lost, probably. I remember traveling uh, from, actually it was from Germany, and I was traveling uh, to India, and we were crossing over a place uh, near the Black Sea where a jet had been shot down by accident <laughs> uh, just uh, a few months earlier. And as we were going along, suddenly I heard the captain come on board and on the uh, intercom and say, um, flight crew, take your seats. And everybody's looking around going, oh, that's interesting. And the plane got a little bumpy. And it's a huge plane, like just a massive plane. Got a little bumpy, got a little rockier. And uh, I could see the, the flight crew starting to scramble a little bit. 
And then all of a sudden the captain came on again and said, flight crew, take your seats now. <laughs> and when the captain says that, you know there's something coming wrong. And all of a sudden the plane just dropped and banked and people were screaming and things were opening up and, and the stewardess or the flight attendant just landed right beside me in an empty seat and uh, strapped in her seatbelt. When you see the crew panic, you know you're in for a rough ride. We made it, by the way. That's why I'm here. But so everything was good. But imagine if Paul had been running around the ship panicking and then said, oh, but God will help us. His witness wouldn't have been worth anything. I, I think as a church, we have to be careful how we behave with one another because we want our witness to be strong in the world to God's faithfulness, to God's grace, to God's ability to carry us through the storm. That's part of the anchor, is our need to be good witnesses in this time. Well, the sailors on that day with Paul dropped four anchors and prayed for daylight. But here's the secret. Paul already had four spiritual anchors that were carrying him through the storm. He had God's promise. He had prayers of thanksgiving. He had a strong community, and he had a powerful testimony, a powerful witness. And those anchors are the same anchors that we have access to, even today, no matter what storms we face in 2022. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we can look back over this past year and even through the difficulties, even through the storms, even through the loss, we can still give thanks. We are so grateful for your faithfulness, which is new each and every morning, for your love, which endures, for your forgiveness and your grace, for the sense that we carry the, the hope of eternity in our hearts, that we know that no matter what we face in this life, there is something yet to come because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we give thanks for all of these promises. Father, help us this year to be strong in courage and in faith, whatever we face. And we pray that we might be a good testimony to your goodness and grace so that others might come to know your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.